great to have many of our friends. Great to have Carol and Norris Jackson with us. Amen. They, they were coming here for some time and moved to be closer to family, and we miss them. But such a great privilege that they're here with us today. Amen. Praise God. Love them dearly. Well, I was going to preach this little pretty seasonal message. And the Lord said, nope. So, for all of our guests, come next Sunday and you will hear a wonderful seasonal message. I'm going to be in the book of Malachi chapter 1, starting in verse 6. And I'll just go ahead and tell you, I'm going to challenge your comfort zone today. I'm going to challenge it. I've been challenging mine with this all week. And sometimes we think, how can we go into the Old Testament when we're celebrating such a New Testament phenomenon of Jesus? But I think if you take our text and you compare and contrast it with the Magi's response to Jesus and Israel's response during the time of Malachi. I think you'll see the importance. Verse 6 of Malachi 1. A son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I am father, where is my honor? And if I am master or lord or king, where is my respect, says the Lord of hosts? O priest who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? And that you say, the table of the Lord is despised. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Or let me just throw in their boss. Our landlord. Would he be pleased with you? But now, will you not entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us? That's an ironical statement there. He's like, go ahead and pray. But I'm not going to hear it. He says, with such an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept any offering from you. Now watch that very carefully. He says, for from the rising of the sun even to the setting, my name will be great among uh, the nations. And in every place, incense is going to be offered to my name and a grain offering that is pure. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. In other words, if you don't worship me, somebody will. Somebody will. But you are profaning it in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled and for its fruit or meat, you could say, its food is to be despised. You also say, my, watch this, how tiresome is it? It's weariness. And you disdainfully sniff 
at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring what was taken by robbery or what is lame or sick so that you bring the offering. Should I receive that from your hand, says the Lord? I want to preach to you this subject, Jesus Christ, the best or nothing. Jesus Christ, the best or nothing. See, what, I, what I've realized about with God is something is not better than nothing. I think a lot of us, well, it's something, but it's not better than nothing. He would rather you do your best or shut the doors. And what moved me so much about this message is he talked to priests, which would include all of us, but especially to pastors and leaders, because they had come, become complicit in this type of offering. They'd allowed it to go on. They had conspired together to despise the table of the Lord and defraud him of what he was worthy of and should receive according to his word. And so I felt him speak to me clearly this week. So I'm going to preach to me, and if it hits you, that's fine. All right, I'm going to preach to me. And if it happens to fall over or spill over on you, well, I'm talking to saints today. So if you're a guest here, please give me a little latitude, all right? Father, we pray today that the Word of God would just be soaked in anointing, Lord. That we would understand what you're trying to tell us in these few verses, God. That you would remind us of your holiness and your awe and your majesty and your glory. That you are beyond comprehension, God. That there is an attitude that we must bring with our worship and our service and our giving and our ministry, Lord. There's an attitude that has to prevail. And if we allow us to slip into going through the motions, God, or just showing up, Lord, you're not satisfied with that. You're not pleased with, well, I made it. Hope you're happy. Help us, Lord, to repent and turn from such mindsets we all fall into, God, including myself, Lord. We fall into habits and rote and perfunctory performance, Lord God. Forgive us today and let your word search our hearts and may we return to you and give only our best, the most precious that we have for service and worship and ministry, God. In Jesus' name, Everyone said amen. God bless you as you're seated. Some of you may recognize that uh, as Mercedes-Benz little byline. Well, I stole it. Because they may have that as a byline, but I believe Jesus is worthy of the best or nothing. I believe it's all or nothing. Amen. And what I find interesting is when the prophet confronted Israel about what they were bringing, he came to a people who were feeling satisfied with their religious observance. And they were even cocky enough to say, how have we despised your name? They clapped back at the prophet. We're here. We show up. We're giving the offerings you required. We're, we're, we're being faithful in attendance. And they're saying, what are you talking about? Their heart is so hard that they're in denial. 
And Jehovah says your actions are evidence that you have lost a holy fear and awe and astonishment and wonder in my presence. You have lost the beginning of wisdom. You have lost what it takes to have a proper attitude toward me. He says, where is my honor? One verse says, where is my fear? The fear of the Lord is not naked terror, nor is reverence suitable to arouse in us the proper response to God's holiness. Reverence is closer. Terror is too far on one side. But Isaiah 8.13 gives us a clue of what the fear of the Lord is. He said, it is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy. And he shall be your fear and he shall be your dread. As much as we like to get away from the fear element, there has to be a nervous tension between our love from him and our, his holiness. There has to be a tension there. It is the tension between longing for a loving God and the recognition of our sinfulness and inferiority in the presence of an almighty and holy God. It has to be held in tension. He is not our good buddy. He does not want our high fives. Amen? He is different and unique and, and requires a certain type of response in our worship, in our service. And we need to get that back. This season, we need to get it back. And I know y'all are waiting for the new year for me to kick in. Well, I've already kicked in. I'm already stirred up. Because I can't be complicit in half-hearted worship and service. I can't be complicit in that. The priest should have said, you can't bring that. I thought about it. Why wouldn't they have stood up? Because if this was just a few folks, probably the fact that the majority were doing right would have convicted them, would have shamed them. But I think this was the majority of sacrifices. And you have to remember, the priest lived by the sacrifices. That's how they ate. So all that was coming in the majority was the lame and the blemished. And so they said, if we don't accept it, we don't eat. They put their honor and their desires above his honor. They put their needs above the needs of God. And that's how they were complicit in it. He appeals to fathers who should not, would not allow their sons to dishonor them in their service in the way they had disgraced God. He says, it, would you accept this of your children? In Jeremiah 35, 14, he talks about some people who were honored their father. He says, the words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, which he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are observed. So they do not drink wine to this day, for they have obeyed their father's command. He says, but I have spoken to you again and again. You have not listened to me. He said, why is it that Rechab could tell his children not to drink wine? And even to this day, that is honored. But God has spoken to us, and yet we don't honor what he says. How can that be? He said, if I'm a father, where is my honor? If I've saved you, if I've delivered you, if I brought you into this land and drove out the inhabitants, where is the honor? The opposite of honor and reverential fear is contempt. Treating God as if he were insignificant or worthless. Their half-hearted attempts at worship belied their inward attitude toward God. He was irrelevant. There is no meh with God. Now, some of you don't know what that means. 
That's a new little word that people have. So you ask them, how is it? And they go, meh. Meh. Right? It's not good. It's not awesome. It's not terrible. It's not revulsive. But that's a new little thing with our youth. Now, meh. Or what we might say, whatever. There's no whatever with God. Whatever is not good enough for our God. Let me remind you who he is. He's the creator who stood on nothing and spoke everything into existence. He's the savior who robed himself in flesh and came and died on our behalf. You can't say, how was the worship? Well, it was so-so. I can't accept so-so as the priest of this house. I can't accept meh. As the priest of this house. I know there are lots of churches who who would just love to have you in attendance and accept your giving. I'm not one of those pastors. I am not one of those pastors that can accept that this is your best. Amen. That you're giving your best to God. That you're coming out of this place tired and wore out because you've given him all your strength and all your heart and all your soul. That's what he is required of us. I know there are lots of places who won't require that. But if I accept it, then I'm complicit in it. If I sit by and go, that's all right. You showed up. Then I'm complicit in it. And judgment starts at the house of God and with the leadership. Starts with me. And he started walking through my life. Is this the best you have to give me? Is that your best worship? Is that your best service? Is that your best pastry? Is that your best loving of others? Is that your best follow-up with guests? Is that your best? Because I deserve the best. I gave you my best. I gave you my all at Calvary. I gave you my blood. I gave you my back for your healing. The chastisement of your peace was upon me. I was cursed so that you could be blessed. And I think that there ought to be some honor and reverential fear in the presence of God. We don't walk in here at 10 o'clock and expect something to happen. Just waiting on God. What are you going to do today? I think he's asking, what are we doing in preparation for the service? How are we preparing our heart? Let me just tell you, there's a prayer meeting at 9 o'clock. If we haven't got you involved yet, we're going to. But if you want to get involved at 9 o'clock, you can be here for prayer. Amen. And you can create a climate and an atmosphere of expectation. Or you can just come in at 10 and go, well, what are you going to do today, Pastor? This is not a consumer thing. We've made Christianity a consumer thing. What's in it for me? I'm going to tell you something. This is not about you. It's not about me. It's about the Savior and the King and the Lord. Everything we do is for His glory, for His honor. Our worship should reflect our honor and our fear and our awe of Him. We ought to be astonished in His presence, not bored. We shouldn't be going. Let me just say this. I know before the service, we got our phones out. But once that worship starts, those phones should be put up somewhere. Amen. Don't treat him like that. Don't treat him like you can just walk in here like you're at school or you're at a restaurant or you're somewhere else. You're in the presence of the king. Amen. And if you don't recognize it, you need a place in the altar so you can recognize where you are. You need a move of God in your life. 
If you can be so bored that you're watching your clock because the Cowboys started 12 and you're hoping it'll be over since then, you got the wrong attitude. You need a change of attitude. Now listen, our, our music staff here is at 745. Am I right? We're here at 745. At 9, they go out to get somebody. They've been here for an hour and 15 minutes. Church starts at 9 with prayer. Church doesn't start at 10 or 10.15 or 10.30. It starts at 9 with prayer. You are responsible for the atmosphere of this church. And until you take it on and say, I'm going to make sure there's signs and miracles and a move of God, until all of us say, it's not just his responsibility or the leadership's responsibility. It's my responsibility. How I approach God is important. Eli had two sons who were priests. They were committing sexual immorality. And they were taking some of the chief meats for themselves. And they were desecrating the table of the Lord. And the Lord had told Eli, you need to deal with this. You need to confront them. Watch what he says in 1 Samuel 2, 29. He says, why do you kick at my sacrifice? The word is baza. Why do you despise my sacrifice and my offering. I want you to know something with God. It's either your best or it's contempt. There's no middle ground. There's no so-so with God. I, I want you to get this. There, there, there's none of this. Well, it was, you know, it's okay. It was medium. No. It was our best. It was from our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. Or it was something less. He said, why do you despise my offering which I've commanded in my dwelling and honor your sons above me by making yourselves fat with the choices of every offering of my people? Now watch this. Eli wasn't the main problem, but because he was being blessed by the best meat, and you'll remember if you read the story when he fell off and broke his neck hearing that the Ark of the Covenant had been destroyed, that he was a big man. Bible says he was a big man. He said, yeah, you were involved. You may not have had sexual immorality around the altar. You may not have done it, but you ate what they brought you. You ate. You benefited from it. And I'm here to tell you, the Spirit of the Lord is going out to ministers all over this nation and saying, you're benefiting from their half-hearted worship. You're benefiting. You're benefiting. You're involved. You're complicit. Hallelujah. And I feel his presence in here. He goes on to say in verse 30, he said, I had told you that your, your, your people and your family would extend throughout eternity. Now he says, I'm revoking that. Far be it from me. For those who honor me, watch this, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. You want me to tell you what's wrong with your prayer? It's because you despise him in worship and service. That's why he's, he's lightly esteeming your prayer. You want to know why your prophecy hasn't come to pass? Because you're lightly esteeming him and your worship and your service. Praise God. Hallelujah. We need... Hear me. I know this is going over your head. I know some people are clapping back in their spirit. But you better hear me today. That's what's going on. You don't believe that's true? Okay. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and talk about the table of the Lord. What did he tell them? Because you partake of the Lord's Supper unworthily. Not that you're worthy of it, but the manner. You become casual. 
You're having a big feast. There's no reverence in it. There's, you're not worried about when everybody else gathers. He said, for this reason, many are sick among you. He said, you're sick and you're not being healed because it's your attitude about the table of the Lord. It's your attitude about me. It's your attitude about worship. You go through the motions. It's perfunctory. But it doesn't move us anymore. We're not convicted anymore about how we approach God. As long as we're here, we think that's enough. I'm here to tell you it's not enough. Keep it. He said, I wish somebody would shut the doors. I wish somebody would shut the doors. If we don't get this straightened out, I'm going to lock this place up. I'm going to lock it up. Lock it up. I'm not going to benefit from your offerings anymore. I'm not going to benefit until we get this straightened out. Till we as a people, as one people say, I'm responsible for the climate of this church. I'm responsible if there's miracles, signs, and wonders. I'm responsible if somebody's filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm responsible if someone's delivered. I'm going to join together in prayer and fasting and believing. It's my church. I'm not a consumer. When we become consumers, it's about me. There's lots of places that have lots of cool stuff for you to do. This is a place where you serve and where you win people. And if we're not going to do that, God help us. If we're not going to do that and we're not going to do it with all of our mind, God help us. If we are honest, and I'm trying to be honest with myself, we have all at times been where Israel was. Cold, callous, indifferent, apathetic, rejecting. In fact, we despise and reject and his lordship over our lives. Every time we willfully and wantonly sin against him, we say, well, my will, not yours. See, it is vain to call Jehovah Lord if we fail to obey him. Jesus said, why call me Lord, Lord, if you do not do what I say? How can we neglect the gathering together of yourselves? How can we neglect that and feel like we're doing right and that we're giving our best? They wouldn't dare despise the Lord's name verbally or say the altar is despised. But their actions, what they didn't have the nerve to say openly, they did with their actions. God interprets our actions by their intent. He sees what we won't say verbally. They did not literally say the Lord's table is contemptible, but their accented, their, their callous, nonchalant, indifferent worship and service said it. They conspired with the people to dishonor God. They accepted what should be rejected. I can't do that and be right with God. If I get complicit that this is the best you got, I don't believe this is the best worship and the best service and the best outreach you got. I don't think that's the best you got. I believe that a power-inspired Holy Ghost can do better than this. I believe we can create an atmosphere and a climate where there's so much expectation and faith that we can't sit still. They accepted what should be rejected. They refused to offer their best. Are we offering God less than our best? Here are three standards to figure out. Are we giving God first? Are we giving God for the first of our time, the best of our time? Are we giving our first fruits in service? Are we giving our first fruits in giving or just our leftovers? What we got left over after we do what we need to do. Where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. Are we giving God our best? 
And finally, are we giving God a sacrifice that costs us nothing? Cheap religion costing little is rejected by God. It's worth nothing. Might as well stop. Stop going through the motions. Stop going through the motions. Stop. Hallelujah. Get. Oh, hallelujah. Woo, I knew it was going to be rough sledding, but he's already sled over me, so it's all right. In 2 Samuel 24 and 24, he says, David declared, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord that cost me nothing. I won't do it. He said, it's cheap. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to worship something that is not a sacrifice that costs me nothing. When we offer what God forbids, it is not a mistake. It is evil, he says. He said, is it not evil? Listen to me very carefully here. If we worship God ignorantly and without understanding, we bring a blind sacrifice. If we do it carelessly or cold or dull and dead in it, we bring a sick offering. Hallelujah. If we serve without joy and passion, we bring a lame offering. If we allow distractions to divide our attention in his presence, we bring the torn offering. That's what we're doing. You think this is just something that they had during the sacrificial system? We have to bring the sacrifice to praise. That is the fruit of our lives. Our service is sacrifice. Hallelujah. Our giving is sacrifice. Too often we are giving God our leftover time. I'm going to tell you something. If you attended work with the inconsistency you attend church, some of you would be unemployed. Your boss would not accept your apathetic effort. Jesus deserves our best, and I'm here to wake you out of your slumber. I'm here to wake you up out of that, what you become comfortable in. He deserves our best praise. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you, some of these new converts need to convict some of you guys. Mitchell here, only been with the Lord and filled with the Spirit for about a year, maybe less than a year. Out worshiping many of you who got more, more prayers answered. More things happened in your life. You ought to be ashamed. We ought to be ashamed. It ought to convict us. But we're like, well, that'll wear off. Don't let it wear off, brother. Don't let it wear off. Don't let your passion and your zeal wear off. I don't care if you're serving for 50 years and you got to be on your cane. Get on your cane and worship the Lord. Because then you got something to be thankful for. Get on your walker and worship the Lord. I don't care what it takes. He's worthy of our best. While we've got strength, give him all of our strength. Worthy. I would like to hear that phone call. Because I know it's happened here. And I know you didn't call me and say it because you knew better. But you have said it to the Lord. I'm just tired today. I'm just tired. I would like you to do that on a Monday. Don't say I'm sick. Don't say I have a fever. I'm just tired. Don't want to come in today. See, that's what God is saying. Would your boss accept that? They can keep you late. But the Holy Ghost can't keep you late. Hallelujah. See, think about it. Let's step, please, he calls it evil. Let's stop calling it a busy schedule or a tired body or forgetfulness. It's evil. When we give God less than what he requires, it's evil. Amen. It's wicked. Hallelujah. It reveals a heart that's not right with God. 
The priests showed their contempt for the Lord's name by offering him food that desecrated the very sanctuary that they were required to keep holy and maintain. Malachi realized that the heart of the trouble he was probing was a broken relationship with God. Instead of affection and trust and love, there was indifference to God's nature and God's will. You can't bring here what you think you, he deserves. You have to bring what he says he deserves. He prescribes worship that is worthy of his name. You can't give him your leftovers. I'm just going to go ahead and say it because I'm feeling bold in the Holy Ghost. Some of you need to keep George washing out of the, out of the offering plate. Yeah, we're one this church, but that's, that's not all you got. That's not your best. I think Benjamin needs to go in there every once in a while. It, it, it bothers me that it's rappers and other people who make it rain. They're generous with their money, amen, over ignorant stuff, over sinful stuff. But they're generous, but that we who've received forgiveness and new life and have an eternal home waiting on us. No, we need to make it rain in here with our service, with our attendance, with our giving. Why is it those who are outside the covenant of God who are more generous about sinful things than we are about the kingdom? That drives me crazy. I want preachers to have... I'll never forget it was out there. I don't know if it was called preachers or something. They had all of this stuff. There ought to be some preachers who've been so blessed. They ought to make it rain into the kingdom. They ought to make it rain. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. I'm being honest with me. And I told you, I'm just preaching to me. If it spills over on you, fine. We have become casual. We become casual in how we approach God. How we arrive here. When we arrive here, whether we serve or not, whether we're involved or not, we become casual. Treating the unique and the transcendent God who's beyond comprehension as if he were common. We go through the motions looking forward to football or our leisure more than the presence of God. These sacrifices are polluted. That's polluted. He will not accept it. Amen. He will not accept it unless it's his best of what's prescribed. These sacrifices because of the attitude of the offerers first. And secondarily because of their ritual imperfection. First because of the attitude. What kind of attitude do we have to have? What kind of casual, calloused, indifferent attitude do we have to have to come and say, Hey, this is my best when it's not. When we know it's not. When we're holding back on him. What kind of attitude? How does that get into us? When the magi from afar out of covenant can come a long way following a star. They don't even, don't even know Jehovah. All they know is there's a star and a king is born. And they come and offer gold and frankincense and myrrh. The most costly and precious gifts. When they see him, the Bible says, they fall down on their face in front of a baby. Hallelujah. They see his grandeur by faith. They see his majesty and kingship. There's no crown on his head, but they see a king. Praise God. There's no scepter in his hand, but they see a king. 
Got to be something that we by faith see the king in this place. Then, then here's, here's what I think is, is us. And I have to be careful. He said, you, you said, this is all weariness. It wears me out. I'm too tired. I got other things to do. You regard God's service as irksome or grievous or burdensome. Let's just get it over with. I got things to do. Oh, God help us. Micah 6 and 3, he said, my people, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Answer me. Indeed, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and ransomed you from the house of slavery. How have I wearied you? How have I overwhelmed you with duties? Seeing what I did for you. See, we have forgotten where we were found. That we were in a pit in the miry clay. And he reached down and grabbed us. And pulled us out by grace when we didn't deserve it. That's what our worship shows. We've forgotten that. We've got to have it back. We've got to have God awaken us and shake us out of our slumber. And say, Lord, you're worth more than this. You know what the dregs are? You know what dregs are? Anybody make coffee in the morning? That stuff that's left in the coffee filter, that's the dregs or the grounds. You're going to throw it in the trash, right? It's not useful for anything else. Understand this. When we offer God the dregs of our time, the dregs of our strength, the dregs of our means, we are virtually offering polluted offering to God and treat the altar of the Lord as contemptible. We treat him as contemptible. Understand, when he said, you profane my name and you profane my altar. You can't profane his name without profaning him. And you can't profane his altar without profaning him. His name. You couldn't say, hey, that Brent Jones, he's a weirdo. That's, I would take that personally. I wouldn't just say it's assault on my name. His name is his, his virtue and his character and his, his, his goodness and his grace. God, who is the best, claims the best. He said it's got to be the firstborn. It's got to be the firstborn. It's got to be the first fruits of the field. It's got to be without blemish. It's got to be the best of your flock. It's got to be the best of your grain. It's got to be the best. God cannot be offered stingy gleanings. He demands the first fruits of our all or else he will not accept our offerings. I'm here to tell you some of us are dealing with financial difficulty because God hasn't accepted our paltry offerings. We're dealing with it right now because until you discipline yourself to put him first, then he will treat your prayer and your circumstances as lightly esteemed because he has been lightly esteemed in areas of your life. You have lightly esteemed him. How many of us act as if they regard the presence of the people of God as contemptible? They feel his holy services and prayers and sermons are boring. Behold, what weariness it is. Get it over. I'm looking at my watch. Sit down, preacher. This is not just an Old Testament problem. You think, oh, this is an Old Testament problem. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 says this. But realize this, that in the last days, perilous or difficult times shall come. For men shall be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. We can't go through the motion and make this form and ritual. There's got to be a power. 
that's animating our worship, animating our service, animating our singing. It's got to come from within. Or we're just like them. We have a form of godliness. We look good on the outside. People think we're religious, but God knows the truth in our heart. There's no power. There's no passion. There's no joy. We are unmoved and unimpressed and careless. We have no enthusiasm or expectation. It's like punching a clock. Well, I made it. God forbid us. God forgive us. Help us. It's like the children of Israel. They were given the Sabbath for their rest. It was created for them. And they mocked the Sabbath. In Amos 8, 5, they said, When shall the Sabbath be gone that we may sell corn and set forth wheat? They said, When is this going to be over? When can we get back to our daily lives? Can we get back to what we want to do? This is, th- th- this is wearisome. This is irksome. This is tiresome. We got things to do. We got shopping to do. We got things to buy. God forgive us. Though our attitudes are largely hidden from us, the actions that they lead to are out in the open for all to see. Hear me very carefully. Disobedience leads to dislike. Because we get away with it. And we think God is okay with it because nothing bad has happened. Well, I'm still being blessed financially. God's got to be okay with it. His word tells you what he's okay with. Not how you're doing. Not how you're doing. It rains on the just and the unjust. It doesn't say anything about our relationship with God that things are going well in our life. Malachi is serious when he says... That it would be better to shut the doors rather than perpetuate worthless worship. He said, I wish somebody would shut the doors. Isaiah said that you weary me with your offerings. He said, quit trampling in my court. He said, there's not any reverence. There's not any fear in it. Your heart is not in it. He is indignant. That such ritual should be thought to have any value. It doesn't have any value. I want you to know it doesn't have any value. It's rejected. It gives false confidence. He preferred no ritual to empty ritual. I've got to stand with God. No ritual rather than empty ritual. They have, what's, they have a what's the big deal attitude. A ho-hum attitude. God hates acts and words of worship rendered hollow by acts of disobedience. Religious activity performed without genuine love and gratitude to God is not only useless but repulsive to Him. Because it slanders His character. You tell him, this is what, after all you've done for me, this is what you're worth. This is what I got. This is the time I got. This is the service I can give. After you washed me and cleansed me and delivered me from drugs, delivered me from our past, I come in here and sit down and wait for you to move on me. I should come in here thankful. I should enter in his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Nobody should have to pump me or prime me or encourage me or exhort me to worship. I ought to be primed for worship. I ought to be ready for a move of God. I ought to be expectation that God is going to move in a mighty way in this place. Hallelujah. We're not cheerleaders up here. Amen. I'm not a cheerleader. Hallelujah. And I'm not afraid of being convicting. But I'm here to tell you, God deserves better than we're giving. He deserves better, better service. Hallelujah. And see, here's something. 
I know we're going to say, well, it's this or it's that. and You've got all your justifications, but I'm here to break down your justifications today. And that's what Malachi did. He said, is it not evil? He said, your justifications won't cover it. It's evil. It's not a tired body. It's not a busy schedule. It's not the distance to the church. It's evil. It's evil. Commitment is never convenient. Giving our best is never convenient. It's never going to align with our leisure. He noted, he noted their boredom with the ritual and its implication. He says, you sniff at me. See, there's no middle ground with God. I want you to get that. There's no middle ground. It's either honor and fear and reverence or it's contempt. There's, there's none of this stuff in the middle. He, he grades black and white, true or false. You can't answer C on a multiple choice question. You with me? He noted their boredom with the ritual. Yeah, we're going to do it, but we don't want to. How many of you parents love that? You know, when you finally get your kid to do what you want them to do. I'll do it, but I don't want to. Why in the world would we come and worship a king? We feel like we're doing something we don't want to do or have no gratitude to do. Why? Just leave it. Amen. Leave it. Don't give it at all. Praise God. Find something else to use your time with. But when you come in here, this is where the king resides. This is where his holy presence is. This is where his throne is. This is where the holy people of God gather. Understand where you are. You're not at a ball game. You're in the presence of the king. The Holy Ghost is here. Searching our hearts. Searching our souls. He said, you sniff at me, you turn up your nose at me. When a man presumes he has God's favor, that is the attitude that results. It is the notion of cheap grace summed up with the phrase, well, God will forgive me. That's his job. See, mauled animals were considered unfit for human consumption. He said, you give me what's torn, what wild animals have torn. And they were to be thrown to the dogs. According to Exodus 22, to offer them to God was an open insult. Only when sacrifices represented repentance and faith had they any value or efficacy to God. I want to get that clear to you. Only when your worship and your service and your time is your best does it have any efficacy. God does not grade on a curve. It's either what he's worthy of or he rejects it. Amen. Just like Cain. Cain brought what he thought God was worthy of. And God said, no, you can't give that to me. I wish that next Sunday when we come in here for our Christmas service that the Spirit of the Lord would stop us at the door and say, don't come in if you're going to give what you've been given. I reject it. Just go on home, watch online. Not against people who watch online, but at least I can't see you do it. And I don't have to be complicit in it. I don't have to be complicit in it because I don't see it. I know we've been through a pandemic, and I know there's lots that has upset our habits and informed our conscience, but God is calling us as a church back to heartfelt worship for our best, hallelujah, our service, that everybody be involved somewhere. Let me tell you something about some of these new converts around here. Cole, stand up right there. Cole, stand up. That's Cole Venables. He's new to our church. 
Just been through first steps. Stay standing for a minute. He lives down by, is it Alta Mesa? He lives down by Alta Mesa. Anybody know where that is? That's South Fort Worth. Okay. I was in a class for half of this semester on Monday nights from 6 to 9, so I couldn't get to prayer. When I was, that class was over and I got back from my trip, I started coming to Monday night prayer. You know who's there? Every time I'm here, Cole Venables is there all the way down from Alta Mesa because he's got a hunger and a thirst for God. Amen. And some of us, we shouldn't let that happen. He's driving farther than most of us drive to church. We got to get it back. Thank you, Cole. D, stand, D. D's here on Monday night prayers. She's here on Monday night prayers. Just relatively new to our church. Let me get this story right if I can. You came because you thought it was a singles event, right? You were told it was a singles event. Her, her husband passed away, died. She's a widow. And I've counseled with her daughter in my office who's still grieving from her father's loss. Here's a widow who came to a service that was a singles mother service. She thought it was a single service. She's been here ever since. You know, when I show up on Monday night, you know who's here? You know who's here praying? It's Dee. Dee's here praying. And some of our saints and some of our people who lead here are not here. That worries me. You say, well, I'm busy. No, it's evil. It's evil that new converts have more desire and more faithfulness than some of us. That's evil. Why? Here's the, here's the big thing, and I'll quit right here. Why did the sacrifice have to be perfect and without blemish and without spot? Why? Because they prefigured Christ. Do you understand when they offered those, it was not just a contemptible thing and a disdainful thing to Jehovah. But it was a contemptible thing to their Savior, the Messiah they were looking for. They said, well, any old sacrifice will save us. Any old sinful sacrifice could atone for our sin. Jesus, you don't have to be serious about this salvation stuff. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be without spot. That's what they were doing. The Old Testament sacrifices pointed in picture and type and shadow to the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. If they were imperfect, how could they typify a perfect sacrifice? How could they point them forward to someone that they were looking for? That's why they had so much trouble seeing Jesus. It's because they thought any old person could do it, any old rabbi, but not somebody who was morally perfect. See, their attitude was that God could just overlook sin. A sinless sacrifice was unnecessary. They were demeaning their own future salvation that they would need. They could be redeemed with a sinful sacrifice. Precious, sinless blood was not necessary for their forgiveness. Let me tell you something. If Jesus had taken our haphazard and careless attitude about our, his sacrifice for us, we would have no hope of salvation to this day. If he had our attitude, our callous, our cold, our indifferent service and worship, we wouldn't be saved. We wouldn't be gathering here today. But he said, they're so important to me. They're so valuable to me. that if I've got to be sinless and deny myself and deny my own desires in order to save them, then I will. I will. They point to him. If you've reached the place where service, worship, and generosity and reaching the lost is optional, we need to repent. We need to repent. If gathering with the saints of God is just another date on your crowded schedule, we're in trouble. 
If school stuff and shopping and working are just as important as your Savior, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. We should have the same nervous excitement when we come to church as we do when we are about to meet with the president. There should be that nervous excitement. There should be faith that we know he's a benevolent and loving God and a longing for him. But also, I can't just traipse in here like he's nobody. I just can't come in here and sit down and expect him to move me. I've got to prepare my heart. There was a process to go into the holy place. There had to be a sacrifice. There had to be repentance. There had to be washing. And then they were prepared to go into his presence. Hear me. I know that the veil's been written twain. But we still are not always ready to come into his presence. Because we don't have the proper attitude and respect and fear of God. Stand with me. I can't, I can't receive that from you anymore. Don't, don't give it. Just keep it. Keep it. Because I'm complicit in that stuff. God has worn me out. And we get into habits. You need to break your habit. You need to come out of your comfort zone today. You need to hear the heart of this pastor. I love you. But God has spoke to me and he said, if you don't step in and say, I can't, I can't receive that, then I'm going to have to step in. If you don't stand up for me and honor me above the people, if you're okay with them just coming whenever it fits for them, you're complicit. You're complicit. You think about our waking hours. Most of us are awake for 14 hours a day, seven days a week. I think that comes close to about 100 hours a week. Maybe a little shy of that. We meet here three and a half hours a week. That's it. Two on Sunday usually. An hour, maybe an hour and a half. Usually not an hour and a half on Wednesday. And we say, nah, can't do it. Can't do it. That's not necessary. Whatever. Hey, thanks for listening to Northgate Pentecostal. Check us out on Facebook and YouTube, and you can watch the video of the message you just listened to. God bless y'all.